All right. Thanks, Richard. Let me get organized. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Here we go. Ah, that's not going to be high enough. There we go. Thanks, Danny. All right. Whoa, that was loud. Okay, we're getting used to this. These rookies. Okay. Why don't we pray before we do anything? <laughs> Uh, Heavenly Father, you're good to us. Um, we uh, we know, Lord, that when we need something, um, we can ask you um, because you take care of your flock. Um, we just thank you for the uh, good uh, leaders you've placed in our lives, especially the good shepherd Jesus. We are in awe of the passion and love you have for your people, and we are thankful for it, uh, especially because we don't deserve it. Please open our ears and hearts to hear your words. And may my words be uh, from you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, oops. Zechariah. So that's one of those awesome books that when you, as a layperson, you get and you go, oh, I have to teach on Zechariah. You go, great, good. There's so much work to do here. <laughs> um, so I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach uh, that kind of saves me from having to know too much, because there's lots that you have to know about history and things to really do this properly, um, and I feel a little bit inadequate in that department, but uh, we're going we're gonna to tackle it in a way that I think hopefully is useful to you guys and to me. <clears throat> um, the theme of Zechariah, as you probably, well, first of all, Zechariah, what is Zechariah? Zechariah is um, a book, a prophetic book, minor prophet, but with major implications. He's very important. He's, uh, the book itself you hear echoes of all the way through the New Testament, and a lot of what he says is uh, Christ-centered, Christ, um, looking forward to Christ. Um, so it's, he's um, a very interesting guy, a very interesting um, book to read, and a very interesting pick that, that Kurt made uh, for us to study. So the theme of it is it gets better, meaning uh, taking Israel from bad into good, right? Um, it also has a very big theme of... Um, jealousy, right? God's passion is jealousy uh, for us, for our affections, for our attention. Um, and then there's that little aspect uh, of what the academics call already not yet, where he's describing some things that seem historical where uh, this, you know, um, this enemy will be defeated, and we will bring you uh, into the, you know, the better, the better world, as it were, uh, which actually happens through the historical um, story that actually what was happening in um, in the Middle East at the time, but uh, also has implications for our own lives. So that is, if we can um, uh, believe that God has a better thing, a better place for us, not just in the next life, but in this life. Um, we can take those things and apply them to our lives. So I'm going to try to do that, uh, sort of read our passage in that kind of context. Um, but the overall theme basically is that he is for us, right? And he wants us to win the battle. In fact, we've already won the battle through Christ, right? So um, let me see. Context. One of the things I've really appreciated... We're in a study. Some of the men are in a study together. Some like uh, Frank and Richard, and Richard's leading us. And um, 
and uh, Magnus comes, and anyway, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't say that, but anyway, <laughs> I shouldn't go through all the people who come. But um, I'm really, it's, one, it's fun, and it's good, and Richard's doing a great job. He's a really good teacher. I'm learning. I didn't realize how good of a teacher he is. He's doing great. Um, and one of the things that he pointed out in some of the earlier stuff that he is great at painting a big picture of the book for us. And so one of the things he's described is how um, God's desire in Zechariah is to show the people that he wants their heart, right? He wants their heart. He wants to take them from um, the old temple and the presence of the Lord in the temple, which was destroyed. He wants to take the locus of his presence out of a physical area, the holiest of holies, and into our hearts. Or that transition from outside to in, in his people, right? Um, and that he wants us to let him do that. He wants us to want him to do that. And he wants to be there, right? <clears throat> and uh, so that that's, I guess, an, by way of introduction, too. So I, I have a little, maybe it's cheesy, but I was flying back from Toronto on Friday. Uh, so I was there all week. I was there all week. And um, uh, I was sitting beside a couple, a couple. They were really interesting. So older guys, older people, older an older couple, an older guys, a man and a woman. And the man sits down first, and we're in the emergency exit row. That's where I like to be, lots of space. and Two seats over, and we have a middle seat uh, that's empty in between. And um, he, first thing he does is he says, uh, did you pay for that seat? I said, um, yeah, <laughs> paid for the upgrade. Okay, that makes me feel better. I thought I got screwed because you know he went online and he wanted to get a better seat i would have sat there if if uh, if i'd gotten a seat or whatever okay well is he asking me to switch with him because i'm not going to switch i paid for it <laughs> so so i stayed maybe i shouldn't have i was thinking but anyway anyway so the and then the next thing uh he says well my wife is up um like 10 year 10 10 rows up and I'm, I'm gonna go get her because there's a seat here do you mind and i said no and so he went and got her and she comes over and she's an older woman and she um, sits down, and first thing she says is, my seat was better. <laughs> I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> this is going to be fun. And so, uh, and he says, well, you can go back if you want. <laughs> and then they have this little, you know, spat that, you know, couples I'm finding as I get older, that happens more and more, and it's just part of what you do. And it's not good, but, you know, it's sort of part of, part of, part of the scenario. And, uh, and, and, and then they have this little thing, over 10 minutes, not, not constant for 10 minutes, but every now and then he'll say, you know, you can go back there if you're uncomfortable, because she's kind of just moving around. And, you know. and then eventually she says, he says, well, why don't you, he says, why don't you just go back up? And he says, she says, um, I just want to be with you, Gord. Crap. <laughs> okay, well, I'm sorry, I, I said that at church just now. <clears throat> On tape. <laughs> um, uh, uh, anyway, I mean, you know, I guess as if you're preaching, you always think, oh, what am I going to use on Sunday? And I just thought, oh, man, well, that's God, right? <laughs> like, he, just wants to, he just wants to be with us, right? Um, and anyway, he shut up about the seed after that. He, he, got, he got the point. Anyway. <clears throat> okay, so um, I, I'm going to tell you now, like, I, if, if, I've been at Toronto all week, and I thought, oh, how am I going to address this properly? Because I don't know all the history of Zechariah and all that stuff. What I'm going to do instead, sort of, instead of teaching Zechariah, which hopefully will happen anyway, uh, is I want to teach you something about how to read the Bible. And some of you old hands don't need to know, but a lot of people probably would like to know, maybe some more about how to read the Bible. And this is not, it's not rocket science, Bruce, is it? <laughs> um, 
but it's uh, but it's a simple approach to reading the Bible that I find helpful. And so show me the next slide, and we'll do this. So this is something I learned from the Navigators when I was at university. They're the people who led me to Christ as a 19-year-old. And so the three things that you want to do when you read a passage, at least this, this is what I do, is I, I read a passage, I read it through, and then I'll go, what do I observe? Observation, interpretation, and application. So observe something. What, do I have questions? What, what do I not understand? What's happening here? Interpretation, what does it mean? What does it connect to? What sorts of uh, things can I draw from it? And then application is how can I apply it to me? What's going on to me? Because the Word of God is living, right? It enters your eyes and your ears, and it goes into your heart, and it changes you. That's what the Word of God is all about. Um, we have to let it do that, give it a chance. So observation, interpretation, application. So I'm converting this sermon to a... Uh, treatise on how to do this. <laughs> so all we're going to do is walk slowly through um, Zechariah 10, and we're going to do this, okay? Um, but before we do that, I want everybody to say the three words, like school, okay? So here we go. What's number one? Observation. Very good. What's number two? Interpretation. Number three? Application. Thank you for enduring. Okay, we're going to do that three more times. So let's let's sort of get to it. I you know what? And I've already wasted 10 minutes of my 30 probably, and so I better set my thing first before we go any further. Otherwise, you'll be here all day. <laughs> we only rented it till what? When? Uh, one o'clock? Okay. Timer. Stopwatch. Go. Okay. So from here. So I'm going to try to aim for 20 minutes from here. We'll see. Okay. So um, first thing we should do is the first verse. So let's go to the next one, to the verse, 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 uh, verse one, and it's about the rain. Oh, sorry, I didn't. You're right. Yeah. Thank you, slides. What do I need to do? What we're talking about here? What we need to do? What we need is the Bible to do Bible study. You need a Bible, and you need notes. My point is, it's good to write things down. When you have a thought, and you're doing Bible study. Now, this is different from a quiet time. Quiet time sometimes. You know, you're reflecting and reading and you're trying to, you know, pray it back and whatever. This Bible study is different. Bible study is a little more in-depth. Maybe you're studying a topic. Maybe you, there's a passage you want to understand better. Something like that. It's a little more in-depth. You've carved out a half hour of your time or an hour or something. And um, it's, a little, it's a little more in-depth. So you want your, your notepad and you're going to write stuff down. So that was just wanted to say that. There is a little pad in, your, um, in the bulletin today that just has lines on it. That you can do that for if you want. And I'm going to blow through this stuff a little bit because I've got three big pages to walk through and not enough time to do it in, but that's okay. So let's do the next one. And then this is Zechariah 10.1. So we're going to read first and then we're going to observe. So ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain for the Lord who makes the storm clouds from the Lord who makes the storm clouds and he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation in the field. Okay, so what are the questions you're asking? Um, the first question I asked myself was, um, that's strange that you're asking for rain in the season of rain. That doesn't make any sense. Aren't you just asking for something that will happen anyway? I don't know, maybe. How do I know that it came from God? If you ask for something that was going to happen anyway, did that come from God? I don't know, that's a good question. So what's another, another question you might have? <clears throat> um, why is Zechariah talking about rain? Maybe there was a drought. Was there a drought in Zechariah's time? That would be good to know. Might be interesting. Um, showers of rain. 
seems to say that if you ask for rain, he will give you more rain than you need, right? He will overflow you with blessing. I think we know that about God. God is like that, right? Um, and then it says, to everyone. So uh, he will give them showers of rain to everyone. To everyone, the vegetation in the field. And that kind of reminds me of those uh, verses of the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain falls on both, right? Both the evil and the good. Uh, something that we don't quite understand, <clears throat> but it's true. Anyway, so that's what I would do as an observe. I would go, okay, well, what are my questions? <laughs> Write down some questions. And the next thing I would do is interpretation. And I'm not real sure um, about my slides next, Bruce, so you just, just, uh, just flip them when you think <laughs> it's relevant. But the first thing is in the season of rain. So I did a little studying, and, and the main thing I do is um, I just use my study Bible, right? I, there, and there's notes at the bottom. And um, I had to do, I think, a little bit of very careful Googling. I don't recommend Googling. Uh, willy-nilly when you're doing Bible study because you can get into some strange stuff, but be careful. Um, but in the season of rain, um, it was pointed out by, by one of the commentators, I think I read Matthew Henry on this, was that uh, the season of rain is when rain is most needed. If you don't get rain in the season of rain, especially in the Middle East, you starve for the year, right? <laughs> so you, you know that in, here in, in our part of the world, it's kind of March to May. You get that rain in March to May, you're good. You don't, you're starving for a year. So I think that speaks to God's uh, provision when we need it. Um, and it also speaks to uh, probably more directly the, uh, the, the lack of rain at the time and that sort of thing. But I'm not going to get too far into that because that requires history and knowledge that I, didn't, I just don't have. <laughs> so uh, um, but another, another question you could say is, you know, does, does Zechariah mean more than just rain here? So I think it's obvious uh, that he means not just rain, but uh, provision, a general provision. And then I think the slide that, uh, oh yeah, and then this is a good thing to read too. <laughs> Matthew 7, um, uh, he gives us more than we need, right? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Um, and then I'll skip. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Right? He wants to give us good stuff. Um, we just have to ask for it. And um, he, he delights in that sort of thing. He likes, he likes us to depend on him and to ask for things. Um, so that's, that's what I would do as an interpretation of this. As sort of what rain, what does he mean, etc. Um, I'm going to not quite do the application yet. We're going to skip to verse 2. So let's go to verse 2, and then we'll do the application at the end. Um, verse 2 says this, For the household gods utter nonsense, and the definers see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. Okay, so we're going to do the same thing again. So observe. Observe. <laughs> Household gods. That's interesting. That's an interesting thing. What is a household god? I'd like to know that. What are diviners? You might have to look that up. Diviners. Hmm, I don't know. Uh, and then therefore. So there's a big old therefore there. And I highlighted the therefore because therefore, when I, when I see therefore, I go, yes, awesome. Because therefore means that there is a premise and a conclusion. It's a connector, right? It means something is going to be explained. Right? So that's what the case is here. Okay, so what, is, what does he mean? So, so what? The household gods utter nonsense and diviners see lies. Well, therefore, 
the people wander like sheep. What causes them to wander like sheep? They have household gods, and they're looking to diviners, right? Therefore is awesome. So always look for therefore. Um, okay, so I've already gone a little bit into the interpretation, but what is a household god? A household god is, um, at the time, and this is, from again, from my study notes, my study Bible notes, household gods are small, portable idols, right? So I don't really even know what that look, would look like, but I think of a little Buddha when I think of that, like somebody who carries something around. Maybe it's a charm. Maybe it's a, a lucky, pardon me? A postcard? Postcard, yeah, okay. Yeah, something that you carry around that... Um, you worship, that you, um, that you use instead of going to God. You go to this thing, right? It's something to focus your attention on. And that's what people did. The, the one, um, one that I, when I was preparing and kind of finding my way, uh, was when Rachel, so Jacob was at Laban's household, right? And he had to spend a lot of time to get the girl, right? He wanted to get the girl that he wanted. And Rachel was really, really cute, right? So he wanted her, and he was willing to stay there for many, many, many years, and eventually had to basically escape. But anyway, one of the things that happened was that Rachel, on her way out, she took the household gods with her, and then they had to deal with them later, right? So it was one of the things that I guess she did wrong. It was sort of evidence that um, maybe her heart wasn't fully gods at that time. Um, anyway, household gods. Um, and then um, diviners. So diviners. What what are diviners? Diviners are uh, prophets, but not from God. So essentially, the counterpart, non-God-oriented prophets, people who try to look at to the future, but not looking from a biblical or from a, um, a God perspective. Um, so. Household gods and diviners are basically God replacements. There, there are things that we go to instead of going to God. Um, I thought about maybe thinking about, I thought about thinking about, <laughs> thought about uh, putting up some examples of diviners, but you, you might, I might offend people. But the one that I think of in the political region is um, that girl who's talking about um, global warming right now. I forget. Anyway. Greta, yeah. She's a, a bit of a prognosticator, right? She's predicting the end of the world, and it's just a little strange to me. That's my personal take. I, I, I don't want to offend anybody or anything, but that's just kind of how I see it. But I, that's an example. Somebody who's kind of saying, this is going to happen, and you need to... Blah, blah, blah. That's one thing. Um, another obvious one is the psychic or the fortune teller or one of those types of things. Anything that replaces God in terms of our trust... Um, is a divine or a household god? What he's talking about? What he's getting at here? Okay, so that's a lot of talking. Uh, let's go to the application quickly here. I'm trying to find my timer so that I can know where we're at. Okay, we're not bad. Um, application. So, uh, application number one that I drew here is go to God with your needs before anything or anyone else. Um, I've said that a few times now. I don't. Hopefully, you don't need to replace or repeat it. But here's here's where maybe it gets personal. What are the household gods in your life? What what are what what do you do to escape um, your situation when you're feeling like you don't really want to talk to your wife about uh, the conversation you just had? Do you go down and you you know maybe um, fire up a video game or you know you find some way to distract yourself or you have a drink or you know things like that? Or do I go shopping? Do, am I always talking about, well, if I just 
if I just maybe had a better job or if I just maybe just made a little more money, then everything would be okay, you know, and um, things like that. Um, I'll leave that with you, but think about even now, and maybe even write down right now, what, is there a household God in your life that you turn to first instead of God? Um, get rid of it. Like, chuck it. Just chuck it. <laughs> Not good. Not good. Get rid of it. Um, and I guess the, 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 big, the big point there, too, is that the, the Bible, or the, this passage seems to say that you will continue to wander unless and until you ask God to satisfy your needs instead of these things. You will continue to wander until you ask God to satisfy your needs instead of these things satisfying your needs. You will continue to wander. If you think you're lost and you go to those things, you will never get found. You will never find your way. You need to go to God. You will never find your way. You need to go to God. Okay. So, anyway. So that's application. So that's the three steps. So that's, I mean, not so hard, right? Um, and it allowed me to bounce on the top of some topics and not go too far deep, but, but we still learn something, hopefully, right? So everybody wins. <laughs> um, all right, so let's go to the second, second section, and it's verse 3. And uh, this is good. It starts really strongly. It says, My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders, for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. So there's a lot of really powerful imagery here. This is kind of neat. My anger is hot. Okay, this is going to get cool, right? What, what does God hate that much? The shepherds and the leaders. Shepherds and the leaders. Oh, boy. Okay, so um, I'm a leader. <laughs> uh, so what does this mean? We're all really leaders when you think about it. What's a leader? A leader is somebody who influences their life around them a little bit, right? Um, a mother is a leader. A teacher is a leader. Uh, you might have a peer who is a leader. You might be uh, a leader in, in amongst your peer group. Any, any influence, you're a leader. So pay attention. His anger is hot against the leaders. Um, I don't think that's what it means directly, but uh, you know, it could, could apply. Maybe we should pay attention. Uh, so the second thing I would observe here is um, in the observation process here is um, the House of Judah makes a re reference to who, what is that? House of Judah, Judah. I'd like to know a little bit more. What does that mean? Um, and then make them like. So I, it says make them like his majestic steed. I had to concentrate. What, who's them on, on, in that sentence? Uh, I don't know who them is in make them like majestic steeds. So we got to figure that out. So that's observation. Um, second thing is interpretation, right? Observation, interpretation, application. So interpretation. Um, this, the Bible Gateway makes it really easy. So the footnote to this passage right here uh, has just one, just one line. There's no other lines, nothing. And it says, or male goats. So if you follow it back up to what that connects to, it connects to the word leaders in the passage. The leaders are actually, in Hebrew, it's the male goats. So what does that mean? Oh, okay, well, now, now the bells should be going off because if you've read much of the Bible, you read about the goats and the sheep, right? And I will separate the goats from the sheep. I will put the goats on my left and the sheep's on the right, right? Um, the wheat and the chaff, the bad guys and the good guys, right? That's what he's talking about. Um, so he's comparing these leaders to goats, male goats. Um, I wanted to show you a little bit. Yeah, let's show you that one. So that's a goat <laughs> and that's a sheep. That's kind of a lamb, but anyway. 
I wanted to draw the contrast. But goats are ornery little creatures, right? I'm not a farmer, but I, you know, understand they're really, they're, they're not trainable, they're not, uh, they're useful for, you know, meat, and they can do a little bit of work, maybe, but they're, uh, they've got their minds of their own. Sheep, though, sheep are, you know, pretty chill, right? <laughs> pretty uh, obedient, pretty relaxed, they know their place, kind of, like, I don't know, I mean, those are good qualities. And very, very useful for almost everything. Like, you know, you use their coats for clothing and you use their meat for food. And, um, you know, there's probably much more that I haven't thought of. I just, if Kurt was here, you could fill us in, but um, from a farming perspective. But um, goats and sheep. So it's a theme all the way through the Bible, goats and sheep, in many, many places. Uh, Matthew 25, 32 says, Before him he will will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Um, and then Ezekiel 34:17 says, As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. And then you have Daniel 8, which is really the biggest one, the, um, Daniel's vision of the ram and the goat. And you can read that yourself if you want. But Daniel... Um, has a whole, there's a whole, a whole chapter dedicated to this theme of sheep and goats. Um, so, I think enough of that. The next slide has a, a picture of, a, oh, not the next. The, let's go back. I wanted to, yeah. So that goat there, that's a an ibex, I think, and I think that's the kind of goat that would have existed in the Middle East. Like that's what they look like in. Um, Israel and surrounds. So um, that's kind of a cool-looking animal, really. It's not as dumb-looking as the other thing. But I, the thing that um, the thing that kind of struck me was its horns, right? So it's got these massive horns, and one of the, you know it struck me that maybe one of the things about the goat that God doesn't like very much, even though He created them, was that they have these massive horns that are kind of glorious, right? Um, what struck me was, I remember the, have you ever heard the phrase, all hat and no cattle? All hat and no cattle. It's kind of a Texan um, comment. It's when you've got a big hat, and you, you know, you're a big man, but you got nothing else, right? You don't have any source of income, you don't have any cattle, you don't have anything. You're just all hat. You're all um, show, exactly. You're all representation. You just want to impress the impress people that maybe that's an, an element of this right maybe he doesn't uh, really care for the prideful goat here who really just wants his own way but still wants to kind of look good and strut around uh, that's probably a pretty good representation of a he goat who's in charge right that he doesn't like this this leader who um, really likes his position but um, isn't much interested in uh, serving or um, being a good example to anybody so and then you know this is a the most beautiful horse I could find on the internet. <laughs> and uh, so that's, you know, a, a, a proud animal. And uh, the, the, the comparison is, uh, you know, a, a battle of, of, what is it, a steed. Um, I think, you know, God says that he will make the flock, the sheep, like that horse. That's kind of cool, right? We can all, I think we should all think of ourselves as, as part of the flock. God thinks of us as the steed that he will ride in on, on in battle. Um, and I think one of the keys maybe that we should uh, have in mind when we think about this is 
that God doesn't say that we are going to get the glory in that battle. He doesn't say that we're going to be the, the mighty warriors, right? He's riding the, 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 the horse. He rides that, that steed. So we are the steed, not the rider, right? So, you know, he gets the glory. He, he is the one who ultimately is uh, doing the battle. We're, he's just riding in on us in a sense, right? Um, so we're still, that's, that's what I think of as, you know, interpretation. Like, okay, let's, let's just take a few, and hopefully you saw how, what I was trying to do there. I just took a couple of observations and then just kind of went, I wonder what that means. Where does that go? And then, what does that mean? Where does that go? Um, and, yeah, so that's interpretation. What animal? Oh, and the last thing is, the last slide that you went to before, Bruce, was what animal did, cho- did Jesus choose to ride for his triumphal entry? A donkey, <laughs> right? So that's an element of this too, maybe. That's what, you know, maybe that's worth exploring. Um, what is a donkey? You know, it's um, it's humble and uh, signifies peace, kind of. has this peaceful, common man kind of kind of thing. I mean, there's much to it than that. It's a whole other sermon, but, uh, but worth thinking about. Okay, so application. So the last uh, thing on this point, and then we'll get to the third one, is application... Let's be thankful to God that the leaders in our church are true shepherds. Um, I, I, you know, I realize as a leader, this is conflicted. Um, and I'm very far from perfect. But the, uh, what I wanted to say here, um, and conscious that, this is, again, it's on tape, and Kurt will probably listen, but oh well, is that I think we are blessed. Like, I, I think we are... Um, <clears throat> when I think of a shepherd, I think of humility and guarding the sheep. But a big part of being a shepherd is fighting off the wolves. And I think of, I thought of what I would do to show this, and I thought of getting something and just sort of wailing it around and just, you know, whacking the wolves with, with the staff, you know? Like, that's his job. He's got to fight off the, 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 the wolves. And um, <clears throat> Kurt's good at a lot of specific things as a pastor, as you know, any pastor is going to be good at things and not so good at certain things. One of the things he's good at is he defends very um, vigorously his flock, you guys, us. <clears throat> and uh, again, here we go. But uh, <clears throat> we uh, we should be thankful for that. I have been uh, uh, witness to it. I have been in meetings um, where uh, church discipline has had to be applied, and uh, it's very uncomfortable. But he does it, right? And uh, some of us may have experienced that too, and we need to be humble, right? Um, I don't think you find that in many people, honestly. Many pastors are willing to do that. Maybe the good ones are, but um, we are very lucky. Um, so anyway, just wanted to <laughs> say that. Uh, good. So let's go to the second or the last uh, this point three, and uh, we're probably well in. We're coming to the limit, but. Um, Let's do the next thing. This is kind of a little more fun, but uh, Zechariah 10.4, and we're not going to get much further than that, so that we can just sort of abandon the rest of the passage. That's okay. Uh, Zechariah 10.4 says, From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. Um, So this is kind of, I say fun because it's kind of very straightforward. Observation. Cornerstone. Tent peg, battle bow. Why is he making these these comparisons? 
And why, um, obviously they're all from God. It's very clear. From him, from him. They're from God. Why does God want to give us these things? Why are they important? And um, this is, again, where a study Bible really helps. Take those words, start drawing, drawing lines, and uh, figuring out what they mean. Cornerstone, so let's do the interpretation step. So if observation is, what does this mean? Interpretation, cornerstone. So cornerstone is very familiar to us, I think. It's all the way through the New Testament cornerstone. Jesus is compared to a cornerstone all the time. Why? Well, a cornerstone is the block, the brick, that goes on. It's sort of set first. It's not sort of. It is set first when you build something. You set it first because you want your um, ratios to be right. You want the lines to be right. You need to set it perfectly, and it needs to be strong and large and uh, hard to destroy, right? And it needs to be there and correct. Because if it is not... Everything is merdswixed. That's my word. It's, I invented it. But <laughs> everything goes uh, off, right? You need everything to be lined up, and everything depends on it. All the weight, all the lines, all the symmetry. The building depends on the cornerstone. And the cornerstone we need to think of, I think, as the church, as, as, as a building the church. The church structure, if each of us is a brick, we get laid on... In, in the church, into the church, right? And we're all relative to the cornerstone. We depend on the cornerstone, and it builds the church. Um, so that theme is all the way through the Bible. And um, so uh, it's um, particularly interesting here because it's prophecy, right? And so this originally, I think, comes from Psalm 118.22, which says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, right? So the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So we know that Jesus was rejected, right? Rejected by man. Um, and he's become our salvation. So that's where that kind of is pointing to. Um, cornerstone. So the next thing is tent peg. So a tent peg, I first thought, a tent peg is the peg that you drive into the ground, right? You stretch, you, t- you put your... Your, um, your tent up and then you hold the line and you bring the line over and then you sort of whack it like that, right? And, and, you, and then you do that four times or maybe twice and you, you build your tent. <clears throat> um, fine, maybe. Maybe that's what it means. I found another one, though, that I think makes more sense and that's the picture right there, which is basically a nail that is driven into the post in the middle of your tent where you live. So they lived in tents at the time, or not everybody, but... Um, you might live in a tent. You usually probably did, because you're wandering. And you've um, you've got this big post in the middle of your of your place, or maybe it's on your wall if you have a house. And then you have this nail that's driven into the wall, and you hang stuff from it. And usually, what you hang stuff, what you hang there, is things you're proud of. You might hang wealth, your, the symbols of your wealth. Um, you know, uh, maybe it's I don't know, gold, or maybe it's um, like a certificate that you um, you achieved, or I don't really know, <laughs> but, I, but but apparently this was a very um, common thing in the culture. They, they would have this tent peg, and it was there to hang your glory, essentially, right? Your glory was hung there, what you were proud of, so that when visitors came into came over for dinner or whatever, they would look at your tent peg and they go, "Oh, wow, that's awesome, right? You're awesome." Well, so, so what is it saying here? So tent peg. From him comes the tent peg. Okay? So God 
puts God as our tent peg, <laughs> right? He is, he is our glory, right? He is what we are proud of, not us. He is our tent peg. He is what we hang on the tent peg. If we have a tent peg, let's put God there, right? Let's, let's make him what we're, what we're proud of. <clears throat> um, the other thing I thought of here is it's a nail. And what do we know about nails and the crucifixion, <laughs> right? That's kind of a cool, cool connection. I don't know if that necessarily meant, you know, if, if God was trying to do that here or not, but could be. Um, and, uh, and then the last thing was, um, there's actually a story, oh, I won't go into it, actually. There's a, there's a story, of, well, briefly, and I don't remember, the jail, I think, jail, was um, a woman who killed a big bad um, general by driving a tent peg through his head. And um, if you um, think of the big bad general as Satan, and she used the tent peg to conquer evil in a sense. Anyway, I, maybe that's going too far, but that was an, a connection that somebody read that, or somebody made that I, that I was reading as I was preparing and decided to keep it out. But that's kind of cool, because that's what Jesus did for us, right? He, he drove that tent peg through, uh, through Satan's heart in a sense. Um, so... Okay, so tent peg's kind of neat. <laughs> um, I, I kind of like that one. And I guess the key here is that all of these things are from him, right? Who, who supplies the glory? God supplies the glory. Um, so let's apply, I guess, uh, two things, two, two ways to apply. Uh, number, number, application number three, let's make Jesus our cornerstone in our lives. Let's make sure that we are orienting our lives on him. And then secondly, <clears throat> um, glory. God will provide our glory. Resist the urge to take glory for ourselves. Um, when we say glory to God, what are we saying? Glory to God. Oh, glory to God. Praise you, Lord. Glory to God. Well, yeah, we are saying that. But you're also saying the glory is not mine. Get it away from me. Glory is not mine, right? Um, I have a particular problem in this area. I'm trying to correct it. I'm not good at it yet. But when somebody gives me some praise or a compliment, I almost never think, glory to God, right? A lot of people are good at that. No, no, don't praise me. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do I have that I have not received? What do I have that I have not received? I, you know, I have nothing that I have not received from somewhere else. Glory is not mine. Um, so if you catch me and you tell me, Bill, you did a good job today. And I don't say, glory to God, you can say, ha, I got you, because I'm trying to. Okay. All right, well, that's more or less all I had. So I just wanted to um, conclude with uh, three things, basically, and I, I told you we would repeat the three things over and over again, observation, application, or observation, interpretation, application. I haven't made you do that. So three things. Let's, number one, go to God for our needs. When we need the rain, let's ask him for it. Get rid of our household gods. Number two, be thankful that God's given us good leaders at this church, and let's pray for Kurt, especially, but all of us. And uh, number three, let's all make Christ the cornerstone of our lives and give him the glory. Um, why don't we pray? And then, yeah. Heavenly Father, uh, whew, uh, you got me through it, <clears throat> and um, just thank you for your grace. And... Uh, we just uh, learn a lot from this, Lord. It's uh, a passage that is challenging, but has got a lot of nifty bits. 
And uh, I just pray that you would help some of these words ring in our ears this week and um, show us how uh, they might change us. Lord, um, by your Spirit, uh, change us. Um, we just uh, think of the sacrifice that you made uh, for us on that cross, and we're going to celebrate it now and remember you, uh, remember the sacrifice you made for us. Uh, and uh, we just ask you to uh, um, speak to us if there's anything that we need to deal with um, before you, any sin that we need to confess. I just pray that you'd remind us now before uh, we take communion together. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, we'll have a time of communion and also offering. Uh, so we have some servers, I believe. Uh, we'll be passing the elements by. Um, like Bill said, let's take a moment of reflection to, uh, before we take our communion. And also we'll have our offering basket go by. And we'll sing some songs in, in response to the words that we have read. <laughs> 